So today we're going to be discussing a particular topic. We're still on foundations. I love the matching, Sipo and Maraping. I affirmed you for your matching the other week, and then you end, you're taking it to another level now. Okay? We're going to be looking at a very powerful topic today. We're going to be looking at understanding the church. Understanding the church. The fancy theological term for this is your ecclesiology. Say that, say that to the person next to you. My ecclesiology. All right? So you have theology, which is the study of God, right? It's your view of God. But then you have ecclesiology, which is your study of the church and your perspective of the church. And how many of you know that we can have the same theology but different ecclesiology? You see, your theology will affect your morality. Do you know that? Your view of God is one of the most important things in your life. And your theology will affect your morality. If your view of God is that God doesn't care, he's not a personal God, he doesn't have relationship with the beings that he creates, he, there are no consequences to what we do. If that's your theology, it affects your morality, doesn't it? If you believe that ah, there's no judgment, but the Bible says that it is destined for each man to die once, no reincarnation, to die once, and then comes the judgment. If you don't believe that, it affects your morality. There are many people who believe in reincarnation, right? When I was in France recently, I was purchasing something from a particular store. I decided not to take it. I was trying to find a particular souvenir. As I left the store, the guy says to me, hey, hey, I just want to tell you. He was, I don't know if he was a Pakistani or what, but um, he says, hey, hey, I want to tell you. You sound like Michael Jackson. And then I said, oh, I wish I could sing like him. Now, that's happened before, hasn't it? Right? So I said, I wish I could sing like him. And then he says, you will. You will. In the next world, you will. Okay? So I'm thinking, is next world heaven? Is next world? Is he talking about something else? Right? It is destined for each man to die once, and then comes the judgment. Okay? So that's to, that's to do with your, your theology, your belief about God. Does God judge? Are we going to have to give an account of what we've done. Amen? And in fact, the specific thing I spoke about is also to do with your teleology, which is how are things going to end? Okay? And all of those, each of those, affect your morality. Amen? All right? But you have your ecclesiology. That's your understanding of the church. Like, what is the church? How is the church supposed to be governed? Who is the church? What is the function of the local church? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm telling you right now, your ecclesiology will affect something so important. It affects your ministry development. Amen? How many of you know that the church you choose to go to will affect your ministry development? If your ecclesiology is an ecclesiology that says, I don't need this church thing. I'm a church by myself. Just me. One out. Because being a Christian is just about praying to God as an individual. If that's your viewpoint, it will affect your development in ministry. There are many people today who think we are all equal. So they do not believe in the fivefold ministry. They don't believe that prophets, apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists are necessary. So in the ecclesiology, it's like, now nah, we're all the same. We're a priesthood of believers, which is true, right? But ah, this fivefold ministry, what for? It was just for when God was birthing the church, when Jesus was birthing the church in the first couple of centuries. But now, uh -uh, we don't need that. You know there's that belief system, isn't there? If that's your ecclesiology, it affects your ministry development. Amen. All right? And that's what we want to focus on today. I felt the Lord saying this to me the other day, a few days ago. My bride has lost her identity. I want to use you to remodel what the church looks like. Teach my people and show them who they are as a church. Can I say that again? My bride has lost her identity. I want to use you to remodel what the church looks like. Teach my people and show them who they are as a church. There are many people today who don't believe in the church anymore. We know many people like that, right? You've got friends like that. They've been disillusioned. They've been hurt in church, and they literally don't believe in the church anymore. Do you know what? The root of that is pride. Because if Jesus still believes in his church, surely I should? If Jesus is still investing in his church, surely I should too. You see, Jesus loves his bride. 
His future bride. He loves his future bride, which is his church, doesn't he? Now, if I don't love his church, it means that I'm moving in a different direction to the direction that Jesus is moving in. Is everyone following? If Jesus is still believing in the church, then let me ask you a question. What is he seeing that I'm not seeing if I don't love the church? It's a bit like insider trading, isn't it? You see someone buying all sorts of shares in a business that they're involved in. You say to yourself, what is he seeing? What is she seeing that I'm not? Jesus believes in his church, ladies and gentlemen. He sees the potential of the church. Let me ask you a question. What is the most powerful institution in the world? I know a lot of people show off about the company that they work in. And they say, oh, I'm now working for this multinational. And everyone is so proud. And you can see that's their primary identity. The moment you say hi to them, they'll say, hi, I work for fill in the blank. You know the people I'm talking about, right? But let me tell you right now, the most powerful institution on earth is the church. Jesus says, you know what? The gates of hell shall not prevail. Not against an individual Christian, against my church. And here he's talking about all the people that are born again. He's talking about what we call the universal church. He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about all believers everywhere. Amen? He's saying the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. That's why there's certain warfare we shouldn't be doing by ourselves. That's why when we have our week of prayer and fasting, when we gather together as the body of Christ, it's extremely powerful. There are certain breakthroughs you don't have individually. There are certain breakthroughs you can only have when you're together with the most powerful entity on earth. Is everyone following? And that's why the strategy of the enemy is to isolate you so that you disconnect from the body. And he uses all sorts of techniques, by the way. One of the key techniques he uses is offense. Say to the person next to you, offense. That's one of the key things. You will see that often you can end up believing demonically inspired lies about someone. That's why the Bible tells us do not entertain an accusation against an elder, talking about an elder in the church, outside of having two or three witnesses. So don't be the kind of person where the moment you hear something negative of the pastor or a pastor, you're ready like, ah, yes, yes, I knew they're all like that. Amen? Ask yourself, the thoughts you have about your leaders, are those thoughts from Jesus or are they thoughts from demons? Amen? Now, we've spoken a lot about how pastors fall and all sorts of things happen, etc. We've done that. But what I want to say to you is guard your heart with regards to your view concerning the church. That's why some of you, your primary connection isn't your local church. Your primary connection is your friends at work. Your primary connection is your bosses out there. I don't know about you, but I want to be connected with the most powerful entity on the face of the earth. I'm telling you right now, this week of prayer and fasting, the things that are going to be birthed are extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. I want to say something else to you. When it comes to the church, it's amazing because Jesus is the one who used that word. And he says, I'm building my church. It wasn't a term that he was using in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he talked about my people, my people, my people. And in many ways, they represent the church today. But he used this Greek word, and it's interesting. It's the Greek word ecclesia. That's why I was talking about your ecclesiology. And the interesting thing is that word ecclesia, many of you should know this, but it means those who are called out. Say to the person next to you, I'm a called out one. It's those who've been called out. It's those who've been called out. By the way, my wife and my kids are with the Joburg Church. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Missing you. Mwah, mwah. All right? But here's the thing. The Ecclesia, those are the called out ones. Those are the called out ones. In ancient times, what would happen in Greek culture, you would have a town crier or a herald. And you would literally call people to a meeting, an assembly. You'd call the citizens out and you'd say, come, come, come. There's a meeting happening at half past two at such and such a time, such and such a day. 
And when those people would assemble together, is everyone listening? When those people would assemble together, they were known as the ecclesia. Those who had been called out to sit down and discuss the affairs of a city. Isn't that powerful? And they could share their suggestions. They could give their suggestions. So they had influence. So we should never talk about the church as a holy huddle. The church is the ecclesia, those who've been called out to oversee what's going on in the city. Amen? And that's why very often in scripture, when we would talk about the church, we would talk about churches of a city. The church in Jerusalem, the church at Ephesus, the churches in the province of Asia, the churches in Galatia, the church in Centurion. Amen? The Bible is very clear about how the church is the most powerful entity. Go and read scripture. That's why the Bible tells us, it says, I, I will not do anything on the earth unless I first reveal it to my servants, the prophets. Amen? Go and look at that. I think it's in the book of Amos. That's extremely powerful, that statement. God does not do anything on earth until he first reveals it to the church. Amen? Prophets are part of the church, aren't they? God does not do anything in the earth unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. That's why you'll find everyone is talking about xenophobia, xenophobia, xenophobia. People who are illiterate know what xenophobia means. You know what I'm talking about, right? They probably spell it with a Z, right? But the point I'm making is this. <laughs> the people who aren't laughing are probably the people like, but I thought, the people who are looking confused are like, but I thought, uh, actual, what are you saying? So what is it spelled with? All right. Xenophobia, the fear of foreigners, the fear of strangers, people from the outside. People are talking about it now, but do you guys remember a couple of months ago when I was doing the series on honor? One of the things the Lord specifically led me to speak about is honoring foreigners. Do you remember that? And we even made a clip out of it that was sent out on social media. I got lots of views, lots of responses where people are saying, yes, yes, yes. That was the Lord preparing us for the wave that then came through. Amen? So there are things that God wants to do in the earth today, but he first shows it to the church. So when we preach messages, when we share things from this pulpit, there's such an anointing here. It's not because of us as individuals. It's because God honors this institution that he loves so much. Amen? If he honors it, let's also honor it. So... I find it interesting because in Matthew 16, 18, it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The rock he was talking about was the rock of the revelation that Jesus Christ is, the, is Lord, right? That was what Peter had just shared with him. It wasn't Peter. Peter wasn't the rock. In fact, yeah, anyway, I won't go into it. Um, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why does Jesus believe in the church he knows it's not going to fail. He loves his church. Does he like everything about his church? No, just look at the book of the Revelation. Revelation 2. He says, you know what? I love this and this and this about you, church at Ephesus, but I don't like this about you. You've forsaken your, for, your first love. Please repent of it. Amen? Husbands, how many husbands are here? Raise your hand, husbands. Yes, Pastor Tuffy is raising up his hand. He's a proud husband. Keep your hand up if you love your wife. <laughs> How can you say no? <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Keep your hand up if you like every single thing about her. Ah. <laughs> Some of you are afraid of getting in trouble. You don't like every single thing about her. I love my wife a lot, don't I? Right? Do I like every single little thing about her? No. It's the same with the church. But do I give up on her? Do I say, I don't like this and this and this about you. Therefore, I'm out. I don't do that, right? It's the same. Jesus has not given up on his bride. There are things he tries to correct within, within his future bride. Issues that his future bride has. But he believes in his bride. Many people have bailed out of church because of individuals they don't like who make up a part of the church. Are you hearing me this morning? It's a sign of immaturity and bad ecclesiology 
When someone says, you know what? Ah, the pastors are like this and this. Oh, that person in my cell group is like this and this. So I'm bailing out of this thing called church and I don't believe it. It means you've exalted your experiences, your personal experience, above the word of God. Amen. And let me just say something. Some people don't completely bail out of church. They've been hurt by the church, so they justify their lack of commitment to church. Are you hearing me this morning? That is so deceitful. Because it means in your mind, you're telling yourself, but I still go to church. If I ask you what church you go to, you'll, you'll have a name. Some of you might have a few names, right? Right? You still go. But at a heart and soul level, you're not there. You've checked out. And you'll justify it because you're always complaining. Because the people are like this and like this. Amen? We can go deeper but I'll just leave it there for now. So the two major words in scripture that are used for the church, very often you find that Jesus is actually talking about the universal church, but more often than that, he's talking about the local church, okay? Out of 114 references to the church in the Bible, about 95 refer to the local church. So many of you, theoretically, you're like, no, 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 I believe in the body of Christ, Pastor. I believe in the body of Christ. And it's easy to say that because when we talk about the universal church, the church in Russia, the church in Australia, the church in the United States, you don't relate to those people on a personal level. So they don't really hurt you. But where it really manifests is in relationship every day. When you're walking out of church and maybe someone doesn't greet you. When you're walking into church and then you don't get greeted. Well, this morning we got a double dose because, you know, uh, Pastor Gracious, I mean, the Pastor, Gra Pastor Taffy was there. His wife, uh, what do we call it? <laughs> Mama Gracious, Sister Gracious, she was there also. And it was like you're greeting both of them. So we got a double dose of that. Amen? But the point I'm making is that sometimes it won't happen. Will you be offended and say, I don't believe in the church anymore? So where it counts is the local church. Amen? We believe in the universal church. So when they're hurting, we must also hurt. When they're being persecuted, we also feel it. But most of the references in scripture speak about the local church. What is the local church? It involves a specific group of people in given local localities which are marked out by faith in Jesus. Okay? They gathered in the name of Jesus. They have gifted ministries and they're following a particular leadership, particular vision in a particular direction. That's a local assembly. What Pastor Stuart likes to call a local assembly. Amen? And they're always spoken of in scripture as complete units within themselves, which may voluntarily cooperate and fellowship with other local churches. Amen? Does that make sense? So no one forces you to be part of a local church. In fact, when you look in scripture in the book of Acts, it actually says, and every day, daily, the Lord added to them, to the church at Jerusalem. So you better make sure when you're part of a local church, God is the one who's added you. You're not there by the flesh. You're not there just because that's where your parents went. You're not there just because, our, you know what, our family has always had this tradition and this is where we go. When you join a church, you're joined by God supernaturally. When you join a church, it's not a soulish relationship. Is everyone following? It's something where you're being led by God because God knows your purpose in life and he knows what he needs to unlock in you and he will lead you to a particular local assembly where those things will be unlocked. That's why some of you who are here, you've been saying like, oh, you know what, ever since I started coming here, this was unlocked, that was unlocked, that was unlocked. That's how God operates when you make these decisions spiritually and not carnally. Amen? So the local church is a specific body of believers in a given locality. That's why in Acts 8 verse 1 it says, the church which was at Jerusalem. Romans 16 verse 5 says, the church that is in their home. Right? 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 says, the churches of Galatia. 1 Corinthians 16 19 says, the churches of Asia. In Revelation, from chapter 1 to chapter 3, it talks about the seven churches of Asia. 
It's important, those of us who are parents, that we teach and we train our children in correct ecclesiology. There was one guy, uh, we were with him, and he was just sharing with us, a youngster, he's about 13 or so, and we said, so what, what religion are you? And he says, my dad is Christian, and my mom is from a Hindu background. And then one of my kids, we were in the car with them, and one of my kids asked the question and said, okay, so what do you do then? You know, do you go to church or do you go to... And he says, no, my dad, who's, who's from a Christian background, says you don't need to go to church, it's okay. And he was saying it with quite a bit of conviction. So as parents, we pass on ideas to our children, amen? We give them an idea, and that idea becomes the ecclesiology, and it shapes their ministry development. Is everyone following this morning? So how do you choose a local church? Number one, you look at the character of the leaders. If you look in the book of Titus, if you look in the book of Timothy, where Paul instructs Timothy concerning who he should make elders and overseers, there were certain character requirements. You look at the character. Why am I saying this? Because some people will go to churches where pastors are committing adultery left, right, and center, stealing money left, right, and center, and you say to them, can't you see that this person is a con artist? And they say, you know what? God will deal with him. He's my man of God. I'll just carry on. We're not called to do that. To just, you know, the blind leading the blind. Amen? Because who you are under is important and it will affect the trajectory in your life. I'm not saying if one day your pastor gets angry, you must leave the church. I'm not saying one day if I greet you and I've got bad breath, you must say, ah, character, he doesn't brush his teeth. <laughs> okay, that won't happen. Maybe when I'm fasting or something. Maybe this week. <laughs> okay. Breathments, guys, this week, when week of prayer and fasting, breathments. Anyway, the point I'm making, or mouthwash. Seriously. <laughs> the point I'm making is that we don't, we're not nitpicky, but we still look at character qualifications. What is the lifestyle of the person I'm going to be following? Second, we look at vision. We look at vision. Where are they going? Is this church going to Port Elizabeth? But I know God has told me in my destiny, I'm going to Durban. Okay, that's close. Let me use a different example. I know in my destiny, I'm going to Cape Town. Different directions. Amen? Today, many people choose the church based on entertainment. Many people choose the church based on what building does it meet in? What's the vision? That's why sometimes people will come and then they try and put their vision onto us. Yeah, no, 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 this is on my heart, Pastor, so we should start doing this. Now, there are times when God is using that person to activate something that's already in us. But a lot of times we might have to say, you know what? You really, really want to do this. It seems like God has called you to that. I've got a friend who's a pastor, and they're big in terms of that. Why don't you go to that church and they can activate that in you? Amen? It's not just about getting everyone into your church. Thirdly, ministry development. Is that a place where you can be developed in the ministry God has given you? How many of you know that every single person who comes into church, there's a ministry inside of you? There's a ministry inside of you. And who you are under is so important in terms of activating that particular ministry. Amen? The job of the fivefold ministry is to activate that ministry. The job of a pastor isn't just them caring for 50 million people. It's to activate a caring community in the people. Amen? And we're going to be praying about some of those, those things during the course of the week. I think Wednesday is the day we're going to be praying about disciple making. We're going to be praying about us as a community, as a church. It's so important. Fourthly, you look at doctrine. When you're choosing a local church, it's important to actually say, what is the doctrine? I'm helping those of you here for considering membership for next week. You look at the doctrine and you say, what is taught there? I'm shocked by the number of Christians who go to places and it's like, yeah, I don't believe this and this and this and this that they teach, but that's the church we go to. There's a bit of a problem there, amen? So you look at the doctrine. Doctrine is just a fancy word for teaching. Number five, can I be a part of this community? In other words, can I make friends here? 
And don't judge that prematurely. If you walk in through those doors and you're saying, I left my previous church because the people were unfriendly, you'll probably find the people here unfriendly too. Do you know why? Because you probably aren't friendly yourself. Have you noticed that people who are friendly believe everyone around them is also friendly? The Bible says that, right? If, if you're friendly, people will be friendly around you. If someone comes and says, you know what I loved about my previous church? People were so friendly and we connected and so on. You'll probably find that here too. Because it was more about you than just the people. Amen? And then six, you actually look at the ecclesiology. How is the church governed? You see, because on one extreme, you've got churches that are congregational. When we talk about a congregational church, we're talking about a church that is led by the congregation. And they can vote you out as the pastor. Some of you are laughing. Many, many churches are actually led that way. They're congregation-led. Then there's the other extreme where it's a one-man show. And one person just needs to say, do this, do this, do that, do that. And sometimes that's actually a leadership style at the start of a church plant where you don't actually have other leaders around you. And then there's what we see in scripture where a church, in terms of how it should be governed, there should actually be an eldership. There should be a team of elders with a chief elder. With a chief elder. The buck has to stop with someone. Because what happens when there's disagreement? So we try to reach consensus to a large extent, but the buck has to stop with someone. Can I hear an amen? amen? Okay. These are the things we look at. What is the church not? What is the church not? It is not a building for Christian worship. People say, where's your church? I'm going to church. Church is not a building. Amen? I know many people say, Sir, so we're coming to the house of God. That's Old Testament language, actually. We're not the, we are the household of faith. We as believers, as living stones, we make up the household of faith. Amen? This is not a house of God, this. It's a venue. It used to be used for stuff that I'm not into. It used to be used for that before we got here. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Someone is looking worried, okay? It was quite a strong sort of martial arts training place and so on. But don't worry, guys. Um, the power of Jesus within us is greater than any other spirit. Amen. Okay. Some guys get nervous. Oh, these demons, they're strong. No, no, it's fine. We've worshipped a lot of times here. Okay. We've built an altar of prayer and worship here. All right. So it's not the building for Christian worship. The word church is never used in scripture to refer to a material building. And it's important that we are scriptural about this. You can say, where's your church venue? You can call it a venue. Everyone following? Okay. B, it is not a sect or a denomination. You see, when church becomes very cultural, people, people say, are you off the church? You know? In this country, if you're Afrikaans back in the day and so on, are you off the church or are you not off the church? You get what I'm saying? Are you not off the church? Vernikuk, right? Not off the church. Or are you off the Dutch Reformed Church? And this happens in different nations, doesn't it? Wherever you are, you'll find that there's a church, you know, the Church of Scotland, the Presbyterian Church, the Church of England, the Anglican Church. And then if you're not off that, it's like poo-pooed on. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, what are those people? That's one of the reasons a lot of people who should be here aren't here, by the way. Because they go to church traditionally saying, this is where we've always been. Our family goes to the Church of Rome. The Roman Catholic Church, our family tradition, and the schools we went to, the Church of Rome. Where'd you guys go and where'd you meet? That's not a proper church. And they look down on it. That's why when you're praying for more people this week to come to church, pray against those strongholds. You'll see, do warfare against those strongholds because they block people from coming to gather and to worship. Amen? It's not a sect. It's not a sect. It is not Christian worship or a worship service. Now, it's important for us to gather in worship, 
right? But it is equally important for us to understand that the church is more than a once a week meeting. So if Jesus says to you, are you part of my body? He's not asking, do you come to church every Sunday? Because you can attend a worship service, but it doesn't mean that you're part of the body. I can attend a lot of triathlons that my wife goes to. And I can be a supporter. And I can know a number of people there. But it doesn't make me a triathlete, ladies and gentlemen. Amen? If I worked on my cycling, maybe. If I worked on my running, of course. The swimming part. <clears throat> I'll pray, Jesus. The point I'm making is that you can be around certain people, but it doesn't mean you're part of the church. Because to be part of the church, it's important to be an active participator. Amen? Sitting on a pew, on a chair and warming it, doesn't make you part of the body. Amen? Let me ask you a question. If you see a dismembered body, if you just see a hand chilling by itself there, you just see a hand there, no body, it'll, it'll freak you out, right? That's what they use in horror movies. Do you know that there are many so-called Christians today who are lone rangers? They're not actively participating in a local assembly. It should freak us out. But do you know what the sad thing is? It's become the norm. I speak to people when I'm consulting, when I'm in different companies and so on, and see someone saying, yeah, no, I'm a Christian. I am born again, Paul. I am born again. So where do you go? Where are you an active participant? Uh, actual, uh, actual. That should freak us out. Am I helping you with your ecclesiology here? It should freak us out. It is not God's plan for us. You can justify it intellectually. You can say all sorts of things as long as you admit you're not being scriptural. It's so important. So, so important. So how is the church described in the Bible? A, the New Testament church is described as a body. And we must take very seriously the analogies that we have in Scripture concerning the church. It's described as a body for a specific reason. I've just given you an example. If you see a hand by itself, you're freaked out. When someone is good at sport, very often certain sports we say they've got good hand-eye coordination. You know those people who are so good at hockey, so good at squash. We say those kinds of things because it's well-coordinated. For the body to become strong and effective, there has to be coordination between what's going on with the hands and what's going on with the brain. Amen? That's why when a child is handicapped or has a certain disability, you know, let's say cerebral palsy. What's one of the characteristics? You look at them as they're walking and you can see that the signals that are going through from the brain, it's almost like what's happening with this hand and with this hand and with this leg, there's no coordination. Is everyone following? Many churches are like that today. And let me just say something else. Anything with two heads, any body that you see that has got two heads, we say it's a freak of nature, don't we? When they come up with those um, wonderful movies that kids watch, and parents also are now watching, we're roped in, right? Uh, those animations, like Monsters, Monsters, Inc. You can see that people are being so creative, and they say, I want to really make a monster out of this. What do they often do to make it into a monster? They have two heads. You know that many churches function like that? Jesus is the head, and he's the only head. Senior leaders of the church, a senior pastor is an under-shepherd, listening to Jesus and leading. If you now have a local assembly, and it's like senior pastor is saying we're moving in this direction, someone else is saying, yeah, this is what I want to see. I want to make sure that our church building looks like this, and then we look like this, and so on. It means they're now two heads, three heads, five heads. That's a freak of nature. Amen? So the church is described as a body. And this is what scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, and then verse 26 to 27. But now God has set the members, 
each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. How many of you have ever had tooth problems? Teeth problems. Have you noticed that when your tooth is sore, it's, it's as if your whole body feels it. Your whole body is affected, isn't it? If one of us, if one brother falls in the church, it should affect all of us. It shouldn't be a thing of like, I now look good in front of the pastors. I look good. She's fallen. He's fallen. Ha! He's got a terrible marriage. But pastor, look at me. My situation is perfect. No. When one person is struggling, we are all struggling with them. That's the type of empathy we show. Amen? We discipline people. There's church discipline. We step people down. We do all sorts of things. But it's only in order for us to restore them so that God can use them one day and so that they're first restored in their relationship with God. It's not just about them being used again. Amen? Ask yourself, how connected am I to the rest of the body? as it manifests in this local assembly? Or am I indifferent? When someone comes up and shares a testimony, you don't know what journey they've been on. We've known, we've known Patrick from way back. Patrick, when did, when did we first meet you at, uh, when you used to work at Metro? What year was that? Huh? 2011. So for him to come up and share that breakthrough that he's had employment-wise, that is massive, and it's important for us to feel it, especially those of us who are in relationship with them. Amen? When someone says, I'm going through this difficulty in my marriage, we must all feel it. Amen? We're a body. I can't, my toe can't say, ah, what, your eye can't see properly now? <laughs> That's its own problem, man. We're the toe crew. We're the toe crew. We're all happening. We're the toe crew. Hey, look at my toes. I've just had a manicure. <laughs> manicure is cool, man. What, eyes? Yeah, you guys think you're the bomb. You think you're it, man. You eyes, because you're up there, and we're the toes. Now it's your time to suffer. Toes don't think that way. Amen? All the members rejoice with it. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When someone is successful in this local church, how do you feel? Do you feel excited or are you just focused on yourself? A lot of Christians are just like, but when is my time, Lord? It's not fair. People come to us when we're counseling them. Yeah, pastor, because, you know, with the other people in my cell group, yeah, things are happening for them, but how come God is not answering my prayers? Do you know that one of the things that short-circuits what God wants, you, wants to do in your life is how you respond when he's doing things in other people's lives? If you want to become wealthy, I've said this before, stop dissing wealthy people. You get what you appreciate. If you want a great marriage, rejoice when other people are getting married and celebrating their marriages. Amen? Sipo and Maruping are, are celebrating their five-year anniversary this year and, you know, rejoicing in it and so on, right? Let's rejoice with them. Instead of like, ah, oh, look at them. Ooh, looking so good. All is matching. Ugh. Amen? Don't be envious. Don't be envious. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. B, the New Testament describes the church as the family or household of God. Ephesians 2.19, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, Ecclesia, right, with the saints, and also members of the household of God. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who lead households, what do you do if there's an act of violence towards your daughter by some outsider? What will you do to that outsider? Are they still welcome in your church, in your, in your home? They're not welcome. The Lord convicted me of this some years ago where there was an act of violence. One of the people who had been part of this church and so on and was still lingering around and so on. And there was stuff done against one of the sisters in this church. And the Lord challenged me and I felt so convicted. He said, Paul, if you had a daughter... Those who don't know, I've just got boys. But if you had a daughter, what would you do? 
I would say to that guy, you're not welcome in this place. So that's what I did. I said to the guy, you're not welcome here. Some people took it hard. Some people thought Pastor Paul is all angry and he's doing this and this and this. But the Lord showed me, this is a family. Amen? I don't understand why when people have issues, they first go to their natural families with a lot of unsaved people, trying to get unsaved people now to step in and start adjudicating their situations. Unsaved people who've got the same issues you're struggling with. The church is a family. It's a household. How many of you don't believe in disciplining your children? Whatever format you use, whether you spank them, yes, we'll all go to jail together, yes. <laughs> we'll all go to jail together, <laughs> right? Whether it's spanking, whether you use techniques of go to the naughty corner and you send them to the naughty corner, right? How many of you do not believe in child discipline? So why is it that when we discipline people in a local church, people complain? There's a problem with the ecclesiology. This is a household. It's a family. Amen? Oh, let me just say something else. A family has a father and a mother, right? That's God's ideal. We need mom and dad. Yes, you've got single parents and so on, but that's not God's best. We have moms and we have dads. And that's why in scripture it says older women instruct the younger women in the following ways, right? So guess what? We need older women in the church, older men in the church. And I'm talking about older in Christ. Amen? We need both men and women, and that's why we believe in the ministry of women. There's an opportunity for the ladies to also clap a bit, but you don't have to, and so on. We believe in women's ministry. And here's one of the principles, and I'm going to do a whole position paper on it. Whenever, if you study scripture, whenever God gifts you, gives you a gift in a particular area, he expects you to use the gift. Amen? Why would God give someone a prophetic gift and then say, you, yeah, yeah, I've gifted you prophetically. You are seeing. You are seeing more than all these dudes, actually. You are seeing, but just keep quiet about what you're seeing. Oh, and only share what you're seeing with women and children. In a normal family, if you've got boy kids and you've got girl kids, moms, are you saying you're not allowed to discipline your boy kids because they're boys? So why does it suddenly change a church where we say women can't speak to men? There are a lot of things that are written in scripture that have a cultural context to them. That's why if you look at Paul's writings, there's sometimes where he would say, I'm instructing you in this way, and this is what I'm teaching in all the churches everywhere. As opposed to, this is a commandment from the Lord. Is everyone following? But we're going to unpack it and we're going to do a whole teaching on these particular things. There are limitations when it comes to governance, the governing and the oversight of a church. Technically speaking, you'll see that in Paul's ministry, there were certain female apostles. Do you know that? People like Junior, that, was, that lady Junior, that's a female name, and she was listed amongst the apostles. Today in China, there are a lot of female apostles leading crowds many times as big as this. Okay? So there are female apostles also in Scripture. You look at Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla, her name is often mentioned first. She was probably the more outspoken one, the more vocal one. You know, a bit like you can have Joyce Meyer and you can have the husband in the background, okay? You also have that kind of setup, right? And Priscilla and Aquila instructed Apollos. Remember, it says Apollos was greatly gifted as a teacher of the word. He was great in speech, great in power, but there were certain gaps in his theology and it was Priscilla. Last time I checked... Priscilla is the girl, right? And her husband, Aquila, they were the ones who instructed her. So what we do is, you will find in this ministry, we, we like men and women to work together. So we don't typically have a lady pastoring a church by herself. Are you following? Right? When it comes to the governing or eldership of churches, we will, we will have men involved in that and women also, but we would find usually the norm, just like in a household, we will have the men in leadership of that. Okay? However, 
you will find that there are exceptions that we see in Scripture, like Deborah. Okay? Is everyone following? So if someone is a single parent in a particular situation and you're a single mother, it's not unscriptural. God's best is that you have a father and a mother. Did everyone follow that? I'm going to do a whole teaching on it. So there's women in ministry. Then there's an ecclesiology we have around the governance of churches. I'm talking about decision making. Many times people will look at our church and will see many women doing all sorts of things, but a lot of the women who are serving this in this ministry, a lot of them are functioning as appointed servants, as deacons. You understand what I'm saying, right? As deacons. They're heading up areas as appointed servants, as deacons. Okay? And we'll talk about that sometime. The New Testament church is also described as an army. As an army. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18. During this week of prayer and fasting, we'll be functioning as an army. Amen? We'll be doing lots of warfare. And you know what is interesting? In an army, you have the ground troops, you have artillery, you have the air force, you have the submarines. They're different roles that we play. And when you look at that word submission in scripture, the word submission is actually an interesting term. It's a military term, upataso. It's talking about arranging yourself in order. Arranging yourself in right order based on your calling and your function. So the church is supposed to be a place where there's order. Where we know this is my role and this is where my role ends. This is your role and this is where your role ends. Amen? So the church is described as an army. D, the New Testament describes the church as the bride of Christ. And I've told you before, Jesus loves his bride-to-be. Jesus still believes in her. So he must know something about this church. He must know something about these churches that we don't because he believes in the church. E, the New Testament describes the church as a temple or a building made up of living stones. In Ephesians 2, verse 20 to 22, it says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I'm going to teach on this on another occasion, but it's important when you start a church to have strong apostolic foundations. Not pastoral foundations, apostolic and prophetic foundations. This ministry has got very strong apostolic and prophetic foundations. A lot of churches die because they're built just on pastors and evangelists. Are you following? Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That is so powerful. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to land this, start landing this message. You know, with my landing, it's a process of starting to land, right? right? I want to start landing this message by sharing with you some nuggets about what Jesus taught about the local church and I promise you, if you master these nuggets that I'm going to share that Jesus taught, you'll be happy and fulfilled in your local church. Can I just say, some, can I say something to you? I want to say something to you. There's certain things you only enjoy when you're fully into them. When you're half in, half out, you don't enjoy them. Have you noticed that? How many of you have ever sat down to watch a movie but you don't understand the plot, and you're sort of in and out, you're doing a bit of cooking, and then you see, and other people are glued, and they're really into it, and you're that person who says, so who's that guy now? Oh, I'm confused, they look like each other, so who, who, and it irritates the other people. When you're half into something, you don't enjoy it. I was, I was um, it was the other day, I think it was Thursday night, and I, I wanted to watch soccer, and I would say to my family, guys, there's a soccer match, 9 o'clock, Europa League. You know, we're now in Europa, we're not in Champions League anymore. There's a soccer match, and I was really looking forward to it. I'm like, there's a match, 9 o'clock. And then 9 o'clock started, and I started watching the match. And for me to enjoy a soccer match, I have to be immersed in it. 
You know, it's almost like watching a thriller where you can see the plot and this is happening, this is happening. If I'm sort of in and out, it's like, I don't really know, like, who's winning, how many goals, how many of you have ever watched a match, but you don't know how, who, who's winning? You can't see the score. How do you feel? Is that, that's like background stuff, right? So I'm now starting to watch this match. And then my wife came along and she said, um, oh, my love, you can now give me the updates for the day. And my cough, my cough is just sore. Can you please just give me a massage? Okay, yeah, you can start now uh, with the updates for the day. So now I'm thinking to myself, soccer. <laughs> soccer. How many of you have been in that space before? <laughs> Tinda is laughing, he's been there, okay? <laughs> what does Q say to you? But obviously I had to say to myself, you know what? The soccer match, Paul, you know what? You don't have to watch the first half. You know, you can watch the second half, it's really fine. Be fully present and engage with your wife. It's way more important than the soccer match. Amen? <laughs> Someone is disagreeing. <laughs> Sometimes you can give feedback and you can say, honey, a bit later. But my wife was now falling asleep. She was about to fall asleep and so on. I thought to myself, you know what? Let me give her the update. I told her this and then she said, next time you must just tell me. But I'm thinking, like, but you can see the game has just started and so on. And I'm thinking to myself, Paul, is it really that important? Is Jesus still on the throne? Yes, Jesus is still on the throne. Are you saved? Yes, you're saved. Are you going to heaven? Yes, you're going to heaven. Those are important things. Okay? <laughs> the point I'm making is this. When you're not fully into church, you won't enjoy it. We're going into a week of prayer and fasting now. If you're not deep into prayer, you won't enjoy this week. You'll be the person who's like, eh, do they have to put it on this week? Eh, eh. But if you know the power of prayer and fasting and you're deep into these things, that's when you enjoy it. The people who love being part of a local church, have you noticed that the people who are deep into it? If you're half in, half out, you always feel guilty when the, when the pastor says things like, yeah, some of you only come to church once every three weeks. And so on. You're in this constant state of guilt and like, who's the, who are all these people? These are strangers around me. But those of you who are deep into it, what happens? Like, oh, looking forward to it. I'm going to be seeing my... I'm going to be, my wife said to me this morning, she's like, oh, I'm going I'm to miss you guys. I'm going to miss being with the people. I'm going to miss you. I know I'll enjoy it in Joburg. I know I'll settle down with the guys there and it'll be cool. But it's my home. But St. John, I'll, I'll miss the people. Because she's into it. Amen? So let's see what Jesus said about the church in Matthew 18, 15 to 20. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. He says, your brother, in other words, a fellow believer, he's preparing the disciples, he's preparing the apostles for New Testament church. So there will be issues in your local church. It doesn't say, if your brother sins against you, leave the church. If your brother sins against you and tells him, go and tell him his fault between you. In other words, don't go and complain to other people about it. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. There are people who fall into sin in a church setting. And this is what I've noticed. A lot of people will show them a lot of love and care. Oh, are you okay? And they'll pacify them. Nothing wrong with doing that, but also show them their fault. And some of you are confused because you think it's just the pastor's job. Can you see the pattern here? Those of you who know your brother and have caught your brother in some kind of sin, address it with them. By the way, not just when they've sinned against you, because you know in the book of Galatians, if you study the, if you study the word of God, it's important to look at multiple scriptures concerning a particular thing, not just one scripture. What does Paul say? He says, if your brother falls into sin, you who are spiritual should restore them, but do it gently, lest you yourself fall into that same sin. Amen? Imagine how strong the body of Christ would be if one brother is messing around and doing dodgy things and all the brothers around him in the church say, uh-uh, enough is enough. We're going to visit him and we're going to tune him out. That's how body life works, amen? If he doesn't listen to you one-on-one, -on -one, tell a couple of other people. If he still doesn't listen to those other people, it says... It says here, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. 
That's the authority of the church. Do you know what we should actually be doing? We've been soft in the church today. If you try and correct someone and they don't listen, and then you come with a few more and you say the same thing and they still don't listen, this is a person who's been part of the fellowship. You now need to actually tell it to the church. To actually say, okay, guys, we just wanted to let you know, brother so-and-so, we've addressed this a number of times. He still hasn't listened. And what happens when you tell it to the church? It says here, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, that's how Jesus regarded the church. Even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. They didn't hang out with heathens. They didn't hang out with the tax collectors. In other words, the person is then excommunicated. It's like, dude, we've got nothing to do with you. Mistaken today, we've got lots of humanism in the church. Someone doesn't listen to their brother who's correcting them, doesn't listen to two or three others, doesn't listen to even the church, and everyone is still buddy-buddy with the person. Amen? I'm not, I'm not singling out anyone. I'm sharing with you the principle, because I'm sure you've seen this before. So when it happens, don't be surprised. Don't say, Pastor Paul, you're being horrible. I've done it before where I say, guys, until person X repents and so on, have nothing to do with the person. And people subversively will still be, hey, no, he's my mentor. Hey, 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 we're doing this and that. Until God convicted them. Until they started backsliding themselves. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay. And then it goes on to say, they'll be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In the Greek there, it's basically saying, whatever has already been loosed in heaven, you can now loose on earth. Whatever has been bound in heaven um, can be bound on earth. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth, it doesn't say one. Those of you who are self-made men, self-made women, I'm one out, I can do it by myself. It says, if two of you agree on on earth concerning anything that they ask. The context here is body life. This is such a powerful promise. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You know what? The promise isn't, I will give you a breakthrough when you fast. The promise is actually for prayer. The promise is actually for agreement. What fasting does is it augments the power of the praying. So as we go into this week, don't just fast. Make sure you mix it with praying. Amen? Where you are going to be watching TV and so on or going and eating that meal, go and pray. Do lots of praying because the promise is for the prayer. The promise is for the agreement when we gather together. Amen? And those of you who don't usually come to evening meetings, come to the evening meetings. Come and see the power of God released. Amen? Because that's where the agreement will happen. Have a buddy who you'll be praying with saying, I'm believing God for this and this is what I'm sensing. As we are praying about A, B, C, D, watch what will happen. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst of them. That's the power of the church. That's the power of the church. There's some principles we see here. The local church is composed of brothers and sisters. We see that in verse 15. That's the first principle. We are brothers and sisters. Say to the person next to you, depending on their gender, you are my brother or you are my sister, even if they're your spouse. So we see that the church is meant to be a family setting. The local church is a place of close relationship. And the local church is a place of belonging. What I've realized about the body of Christ, a lot of people don't know how to bond. They've come from backgrounds where they don't know what we call safe attachment to another human being. And when they don't experience that, they protest. And they say, you guys are horrible. You guys are terrible. What I like about the local church, it's an opportunity to reparent people and to help them to rebond and reconnect. You know what I'm talking about. There's some of you, you're good prayer warriors and you know how to pray, but you don't know how to bond or connect with another human being. God is going to take us on a journey in our discipleship process to teach us the power of connection. Amen? B, the local church is not perfect. We see that in verse 15. Members of the local church will have conflict. There will be difficulties to work through until Jesus comes. 
If we're to succeed as a church, we must be successful when it comes to conflict resolution. A lot of people don't know how to resolve their conflicts. Amen? God has provided, what we see in this scripture, God has provided the means by which conflict can be resolved. C, the local church is a place of discipline. We see that in the scripture. D, the local church is a defined body of believers because it says, you know what? If you don't listen to the church, you can be expelled from that group. So it's a clearly defined group. It's not something mystical. Who, what is the church actually? What are you expelling me from? There's a local body. We also see that the church is a channel of God's authority. And he's invested his authority in the local church. Everyone see that? We also see that the local church is to be a place of unity and agreement. That's why corporate prayer is powerful. The enemy wants you to be isolated. We also see that the local church is to be a place of fellowship, a place of faith, and a place of prayer. We also see that the local church is a place where Christ promises to dwell. We also see that the local church is a gathering identified with the name of Christ. When you gather in my name. And there are other implications when you unpack that scripture. One of those implications is you cannot be the church by yourself. Another implication is that the church is a place of order. There's a way things are done in a church. Amen? And for some of you, when you listen to me preaching like this, you're saying, cool, I feel safe. I now know the parameters. Others of you are scared. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray certain things over you. I want to pray Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47 over you. It's a powerful scripture, and if we can just go to it. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, this is the early church, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Carry on. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We want God to add to this church. This was the church, the local church in Jerusalem. We want God to do the same here. Wherever there's quality, there'll be quantity. Amen? We went to nice restaurants in Europe. And you could see when a restaurant was empty, it was indicative of maybe it's not that nice going there. Some places have crowds for the wrong reasons because of the junk food that they sell. But for the most part, you go to a restaurant and it's buzzing, there's something good happening there. We want people to see the glory of God in this place. I want, I'm going to pray this blueprint of, from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to pray it over us. And Paul, you can come and you can play while I pray. You'll be playing. Isn't his cultural outfit great? In Heritage Week, Happy Heritage Week, by the way. And in Heritage Week, what we're doing is we're redeeming the cultures. We're saying the stuff that was used, those drums that were ancestral drums, let them now be used for praise and worship. On Tuesday, we'll be praying into that. It'll be one of the prayer points. Amen? That tribe that was a militant tribe that becomes violent and is having wars with everyone around them. I won't mention the tribe, right? That tribe must now be strong in spiritual warfare. Amen? I'm going to pray Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 over you. Let's stand and let's receive. Father God, I thank you that as a church, we are strong in the apostles' doctrine. We receive the words that are taught here. We take them seriously. We recognize the sacredness of what is preached here. And we receive it, Lord. We commit ourselves secondly to the fellowship.
the cultivation of relationship in the family of God. I pray now for those who have been struggling with attachment. And I ask you, God, to help us that we will be able to bond and connect with each other. We commit ourselves to the breaking of bread, to having communion, not just once a month in the services here. I thank you, Lord, for what the ladies did the other week. I thank you, Lord, for what can happen in our small groups, that we can have communion, even at home in our families. I thank you, Lord God, that we are devoted here to prayer. The supernatural influence of prayer and intercession will be strong in this church. I thank you, Lord, for the fear of the Lord that will have awesome respect for you as the living God. We pray now for signs and wonders that the miraculous works of the Holy Spirit would manifest in our midst. I pray, Father, that we will be together in one accord, that there will be unity of true believers, that we will be in agreement, Lord God, I thank you that we'll have all things in common. There'll be a spirit of generosity and liberal giving beyond the tithe. I thank you, Father God, that we will meet in the so-called temple like they did. So we will have big corporate gatherings, but we will also meet from house to house in small groups. And we will be known and we will know each other. I thank you, Father, that we'll meet in simplicity of heart and I thank you, Father, that we will have a lifestyle of worship where we will be strong in praise and worship. I declare that over this church, there will be favor that we will experience in the city, just like the church in Jerusalem. And I thank you, God, that many will be added to the church. Just like half of Jerusalem, 250,000 people became a part of that local church in Jerusalem, many will be added here. In Jesus' mighty name, and the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, Click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget, we've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.